0: Welcome back listeners to another episode of the Ag Watchers. Uh, You've got myself, Matt Dalgleish and Andrew Whitelaw with you and I know it's been a little time coming, we've been a bit slack but this time we've got a very special guest, uh, a bit of a legend of the agricultural space, particularly in wool, uh, Michael DeCluver. Some of you uh, would know him about the place and uh, welcome
1: Michael to the Ag Watchers podcast. Uh, thanks to the uh, thanks to the introduction, uh, very 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 uh, kind words. All right, let's
0: see. Andrew, you're going to make a comment where you had something. Yeah,
2: it's to- it's uh, it's it's been an interesting week. I don't know if you know this. You know, I'm a I'm a reader of history, but it's the two hundredth anniversary of the first Australian wool sale this week. So two hundred years ago, we sold the first wool, and it, uh, I guess it's it's quite. I find that quite interesting considering you go to a wool sale and some of those people are still around.
1: <laughs> what are you suggesting Andrew that we're all old bastards? Well, 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 well,
2: well I'm, I'm not saying anything Michael because we all know that you're one of the young guns of the industry at, 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 at your age but, but I, I just found it quite interesting reading about that wool sale is that it was held in London so at the ship it out to london to sell it so things have changed slightly since then
1: well things you you you're intimating that things move slowly in the industry but yes we do sell things a little bit differently these days um and yes i didn't realize it's the anniversary but um did what did the wool make in uh, in in this uh, this sale 200 years ago
2: ah uh, no idea i didn't look into that far a couple of shillings i'm guessing <laughs> yeah god across so, so michael let us let us know who you are. Give us a little bit of an intro.
1: Uh, so so currently I work <clears throat> for Elders, having worked for the last uh, 30 years in wool. Um, prior to that, worked for a number of years at a business in Victoria called Rodwells, and uh, prior to that in various roles across the sector, exporting, uh, trading, brokering, um and various just various roles in the wool industry from start to finish so i've done uh, this is this is i think my 33rd year in the industry um and it's been uh very very good to me
0: 33rd year in the industry market you must have started when you were 12.
1: that's right mate uh, we start early in the wool trade yes i started uh started straight out of uh, primary school and um and uh you know, I did go away to uni, and uh, I did start when I was about 22 or 23. So starting to give a bit away about age, but um, it's been very good, and been lots of changes over my years. I've seen, um, I've seen a couple of big booms, and I've seen obviously collapse reserve price scheme. I saw the boom in '88 and '89. I saw the collapse reserve price scheme '91. Obviously the stockpile through the '90s, all sorts of things. But we've been on a bit of a better foot in the last couple of years, where things have uh, returned a little bit more to normal, where we've had some Uh, plenty of volatility in the market but a little bit more profitable
0: we're going to um i think we're going to go to the wool market in a tick but i know um just as a lead in there's another far more important market that you and i discuss from time to time and um listeners to the podcast have probably heard me refer a few times when we talk about the aussie dollar i'd spoken about a bet that i made with an an unnamed individual michael um about the aussie dollar last year um getting back above 70 cents and, and then obviously covid came and Proceeded to um, see it get hammered down to fifty-five. Um, I'll declare that Michael de Kluver was the unnamed individual that I had a bet with, and I still owe you a hundred bucks. But um, the Aussie dollar now back up uh, what seventy-seven odd cents, Mike. You know I, I wasn't right in timing, but um, you know I, I missed out by about a month, didn't I, with that bet? Otherwise, it would have been the other way around.
1: Yeah, I know. And you, you, look, you bet. I mean, I know you're a former currency trader, and you you, you pretend to have some idea about what the currency's <laughs> going to do, but Clearly, clearly, uh, this is not one of your strengths. Um, And the crystal ball that I looked at for the currency was clearly saying it was going to go down. Um, And obviously, you just didn't read the same, uh, weren't looking at the same crystal ball that I was looking at, and you lost your money. Interestingly, the bet hasn't been paid, and I know your listeners probably think you've got a, you're a man of integrity, but I haven't. No, said the no,
2: Ma- Michael. No, no one thinks Matt's a man of integrity. And if, if if you want to talk about bets, I can name one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I can keep going on a number of bets that Matt has still not paid out on. The
0: difference, and- the, the difference there though is, Michael. When you and I made the bet, we both agreed to the bet, and we shook hands and said it's a bet. Andrew tends to make a bet where he says, I bet you this will happen, and irrespective of whether I agree with his view or not, or if I want to take the bet on or not, he, in his mind, I've bet with him. So it's, it's a bit like he writes the betting script out and just gives it to me, and then I'm bound to honour it. But that's, that's the way Andrew does betting. But I'm um, just getting back to that that whole um, Aussie scenario. It was, it was an interesting one, and I know from my t- days in the currency markets, um, we used to say, it's a bit like the wool market, I guess, Michael, if it doesn't if it goes against you, you just hold. Just hold the position. It'll eventually come back.
2: <laughs> eventually,
0: <laughs> it always does. It always comes back. And um and so that's the lead leading, I guess. So the wool market, we did see a bit of a downturn uh, last year, but um it hasn't been too bad. The start of this year, has it? What have you got us a bit of a quick? We don't have to tell us blow by blow of the the whole year, but it's um it's it's kind of shaped up reasonably well so far, considering um you know parts of the world are still
1: suffering under COVID. It's really. It's actually a couple of really interesting trends. Last year was obviously shocking for wool in terms of retail demand and with everybody staying home, you'd think that um, the the area that would be hardest hit would be the superfine sales. And interestingly, in the last sort of three months and particularly after Christmas, the superfine area of the market that has just continued to strengthen and strengthen, possibly on the back of low <laughs> supply, but we've seen a really good run to the point where superfine wools are now dearer than what they were, say, this time last year. Um, it's a bit strange when you think that, Sales of suits and things like that would be one of the biggest impacts due to COVID, um, and we haven't really seen that that flow through. But all in all, considering what happened last year, I think the market's in really good shape, knowing that we are a discretionary spend in a lot of cases and and that the world went into, into shutdown for a number of months and in some cases is still shut down. So I reckon we're doing particularly well, um, in my view. That, um, that reaction to the
0: Superfy Michael, too, though, with it being a much wetter uh season um that's also that's part of that supply when we go wetter you don't have as much supply of that fine end isn't it is that the case
1: yeah i think yeah, i think if you look at there's a uh, the the awta runner stat on superfine wool under 16 and a half and you see that that particular um category is down about 40 percent year to date which is a massive swing and as well as that if you look at 21s the medium wools, they came off a very low base because of the the um couple of dry years but their their quality's gone up by 40 percent. so you can see the market sort of reacting pretty clearly to supply signs less fine wool and price going up and more medium wool price going down a bit or struggling a bit
0: Mm. now you're not just i mean i know you you are well well known for your wool knowledge and uh, and and your time spent in that industry but you also i mean being new south wales based at the moment now um mike and you're, you're on farm as well and you've got some interest in livestock what's the you know, given that the, the New South Wales was probably most hit, I guess, by the most recent drought, um, what's, the, what's the feeling amongst, um, I guess, both sheep and cattle producers there that you're speaking to and around your area? Is it, um, are they really keen? Is, are we seeing a big move back into, um, you know, sheep and wool? Or what, what's the kind of feeling generally amongst, um, amongst that kind of central New South Wales area?
1: Obviously, people are pretty optimistic. Massive season, probably probably gone from one of the worst couple of years on record to probably one of the best um, grain harvest has been enormous. Livestock price is fantastic. Um, the probably the only negative about the livestock price, provided you're in the business, you're probably benefiting from that. If you're not in the business, the restocking opportunities uh, have certainly been difficult. You know, it's been, been massive cash outlay. So to buy a sheep, if you haven't got a couple of hundred dollars to spend, you're probably not gonna go that well. Um, and even things like weather lambs, is probably the cheapest thing you buy, was sort of costing $130 to $150. So, um, the restockers are probably struggling a little bit because of the cost, but everybody else that had sheep to sell um, is probably enjoying things the lamb job obviously tremendous so I think um, all in all um, people are very very optimistic very very confident in how things are
0: mm. and has the has the like I know when we'd spoken a few times before um in the past when the wool price was rocketing and we had you know twenty dollar plus kind of pricing uh, for for your kind of you know, um, medium top wool's and that uh, a few years back, but, um, and that didn't really, we'd spoken before that it didn't really attract, wasn't it, we were concerned it wasn't attracting people back into wool. Um, now we've seen the price come off again and we're seeing really strong prices for sheep meat in particular. And the forecast for sheep meat prices going forward is pretty strong too. What's the, what's the dynamic playing out there is, is wool still struggling to attract people back in? You know, we've seen people leaving or considering other options going into prime lamb. Are you seeing much of a trend there?
1: I think the trend that we've seen in the last 10 years continues and with lamb prices so good, why would people change? And so I think the joining joining to crossbreds, particularly older merino used for crossbred production or meat production, is, is clearly a trend and, and one that's not going away. Obviously move to composites has happened and continues to happen. So there's a bigger, much bigger emphasis on, on meat production. But it's quite interesting. On 30 years ago, a lot of merino growers got 80 to 9% of their money from wool and 10% from livestock sales. And today I'd suggest most merino producers probably have half their income from wool and probably half from from livestock sales or meat sales. So there's clearly a, a change, and that's been very, very profitable to people that are doing that. The mix, the mix, the meat-wool mix is very, very, very lucrative. Um, but there's been a definite trend towards the production of, of meat rather than wool.
0: Yeah. And what about um, these cattle prices that we're seeing at the moment, sir? I mean, are they I, – I, my view is that um, we're just at levels that are kind of unsustainable now, particularly for, you know, young cattle. And, and um, I mean, heavy heavy steers are up at record levels. Um, with all the things like the appreciating Aussie dollar that we all knew was coming, um, and um, the high global um, beef cattle prices that you know Australia the most expensive in the world. Um, what do you think? Uh, what, what are your views around that? Are, are we at silly times here? Is it just grass feeder going crazy, in uh, particularly New South Wales, or or do you reckon there's more room for cattle to keep
1: going up? You've just depressed me telling me that it's it can't go higher. I've got about a hundred <laughs> black heifers I bought on the punt to uh, to join and sell. So obviously that tray is looking very doubtful, but uh our no, no, confidence has never been better in the cattle job. But uh, thank you for ruining mine. Um I might go and muster them this afternoon on that basis.
0: Well, given my uh history with the Aussie dollar, Mike, you might have a, you know at least eight or nine months to think about what you're doing before it starts to come off. I'm not. I'm not talking a crash, mate. I'm talking maybe a five percent decline over the year in prices. So we're still, you know. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to put the weight on and uh, and get and get rid of them at a good tidy profit before you um before you get stuck.
1: Yeah, we might make a bet and see if that's another way of increasing <laughs> the margin. Tell me, tell me, you're 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 across these numbers. Export uh, export of meat. Yep. Uh, on the way back up again, or still are we still struggling uh, export wise? Uh, yeah. Meat and beef cattle.
0: They all started pretty much this season in January below average for all types um, they, and so beef was about total beef exports were about twenty two percent below uh, the normal average for January and probably the lowest volumes since two thousand and twelve january um, lamb uh, lamb also below average um, in terms of volumes i think um, and and pretty much uh across all destinations for lamb. Um, there was mutton exports, there was one shining light in uh, China. Um, so uh, yeah, most like, I mean, you're mainly talking for mutton, the US and and China, but um, uh, I guess ASF still not run its course um, fully, despite what some are saying. And um, and so, uh, and, and China being a big big uh, market for our mutton, I think they take about 40% of the strain mutton these days. Um, the mutton exports for January were, were pretty good. Um, I think, generally speaking, though, for the year, the prospects for sheep meat, I think, export-wise and pricing, is going to be pretty good. Just because I think mean, there's still more growth in those markets, growth potential. It's, it's still, if you look at the last twenty years, we've seen a massive growth in lamb export. Um, if you go back twenty years ago, twenty five percent of lamb production was exported and seventy five percent was eaten locally. It's now something like sixty percent of lambs exported, and and um, you know, and then the balance eaten locally, um, uh, and and for mutton, it's it's like ninety five percent of something's exported. So they're massively export. If you look at combined lamb and mutton, it's like beef now. It's about seventy five percent of the market is now exported in terms of production. Um, but the thing with lamb and and the real good prospects for lamb pricing going forward is the fact that um, it's really only us in New Zealand that supply the world, uh, and um, and so you've got a bit of a captured market. Whereas in the beef space, it's much more competitive. So I think on balance, if I was a red meat producer uh, and an exporter, I'd be feeling a little bit more confident if I was uh, in the sheep meat side for the next least five years.
1: Interestingly, we had that um, in lamb prices probably, I don't know, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe August, and we sort of headed back to $6 and everybody thought, uh, you know, lamb lamb processes shut down in the south, COVID and various issues, and we're thinking spring might be really difficult. As it's turned out, like, Lamb's gone through the spring at sort of somewhere circa seven fifty to eight fifty. Um, that's why i saying the sheep meat thing is very good, and the and the wool sheep meat combination is terrific, and the prospects look yep. good. And even with COVID last year, we sort of seemed to get through that, other than those couple of tough months, things have been really good. Yeah,
0: that 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 um, moved down in price through. It was a, an unseasonal move through winter where you had. Prices coming off when they normally go up, and a lot of that was a reaction to the uncertainty around Victorian processes. If you recall, um, Victoria was in the in the grips of COVID, and and processes were reduced in terms of their capacity um, by a third. Uh, and 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 we know that um, that you know the bulk of the land processing in Australia is done in Victoria. So I think part of that movement down was just a bit of. Um, a bit of uncertainty and, and concern um, you know certainly was a bit of an aberration but once um, once Victoria got on top of COVID and, and the market export market you know generally considering held up pretty well um, that's that's when we returned to pretty good pricing through spring um, and I think look this year uh, I, I, you know I think the forecast we've got at TEM is for a very small decline in annual average price for the STLI I think it's something like two percent lower this year on average in, uh, compared to last year so that's going to mean a, a, an estli averaging above 800 cents um this year so you know strong strong um strong prospects and i think like i said the prospects going further as as we continue to recover globally from COVID are going to be um equally strong i, I won't uh, here's a call i'll, I'll make it if you michael by 20 this is this is how andrew does it by 2024 we'll be at $11, $12 ESTLI carcass weight. Right. And then, and, and you don't have to say yes say no, we've just made the bet and you'll just have to owe me if it gets there.
1: Right. So, on that basis, we've done lamb and you've made a suggestion about the beef job and depressed me for the rest of the morning. What about the, what, what, what are we going to, what, what are we going to talk about the wool market and what it's going to do? Because yeah. it's the hardest thing to pick in the world.
2: <clears throat> so, I, I had a question about the wool market for you. Like in this, the last in the last year, we saw that the number of bales sold were, were consistently below average. You know, pretty pretty low sales each week. Yep. You know, and I read somewhere from an analyst that wool bales were going to be like through the roof, and stockpiles were going to massively increase, and that we're going to have like what one point five million bales or something like that. What's what's your view on on and that that's obviously the more storage you have, the more bales you have in storage. That is generally an indicator of like a bearish market, like a low price environment. So, what's your view on on wool stockpiles?
1: So, so uh, I remember those comments and those volumes, and uh, interestingly, we haven't got anywhere like that. Um, we've probably got to about two hundred thousand bales nationally, might be three hundred, and it's not growing. Um, interestingly, I've had a look at the wool we have on hold. It's quite—we haven't changed our business hasn't changed the amount of wool we've had on hold now for nearly six months. It's not going higher. It's not going lower. We're adding to it each week. We're taking away from it each week. Um, I think we're probably taking wools out of it. We're probably adding some of those low-quality crossbreds to the to the pile. But interestingly, the pile's not getting bigger. The other thing that's happening is that it does, it does not come out. At, when it when it comes out for sale, it never comes out at once. So. That stockpile sitting in the background, we all thought it would rush onto the market if there's improvement. We had a pretty good market there a couple of weeks ago. Um, we saw a lot of wool since Christmas, historically higher than normal. Um, so, But it's interesting, that stockpile hasn't eventuated. I hear anecdotally about all these wool on farm.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm going to ask um, I
1: love these questions. I, I, people say to me, oh, there's all this wool on farm. And I said, like who? And they can tell you about Bill and Fred, and then you sort of say, other than Bill and Fred, who else is there? And they can't come up with any other names. I think there's lots of um, from the hip sort of statements and really when it comes down to it, yes, there's a few composite clips on farm because they're not worth anything. That's fair enough. I wouldn't send more woolen if it was uh, low value and I was thinking about storing it, so keep it at home. Um, but for most, I would say most, most wool um, is in store and accounted for. Uh, I don't think there's as much wool on farm as what people are making out. There is a little bit, but there's probably always a little bit. So is it much different to normal? I don't know. I don't <laughs> think it's, it's a lot different.
2: Because those those type of statements back in, like, what is it, August, September, they just strike strike me as being a bit of a case of, it's, it's a bit of a, an odd statement to make because you've got a low price environment and then highlighting that stocks are going to be increasing. If I was a buyer in China or India or wherever else, if I look at, you know, statements saying stockpiles are, are, are going to be massive and the price is low, well, I'm not going to bloody buy, am I? You know, that's just like I'm not a wool guy, but that's basic supply and demand sort of economics
1: yeah I think there's everybody everybody um, at the time it was an interesting it was an interesting discussion at the time because there was quite a bit of backwards and forwards I think that at the end of the day it doesn't help to to it doesn't help the market when you start saying we're going to start storing massive amounts of wool and I think there's a lot of people trying to sell wool into our markets that didn't didn't find it terribly helpful and that discussion did did trend did follow the the the, the statements that were being made and um, History's come to show that even though we had COVID last year and we put the market under enormous pressure, what people thought would happen didn't happen at all. It didn't happen. Just um, um
0: just going back to your question in regards that, I, I did actually present uh, for I think it was Graham Graham Lean Ag- Agrivet, our friend Rivets, that we've got a podcast on that was very good uh, we did uh, last year, Andrew, um, yep. and and Rivets had me present out in the Western District to a group of a couple of groups of sheep producers, um. And and part of that, obviously, it was a lot on, on, on red meat and the sheep meat that I've spoken about already, Mike. But towards the very end of the presentation, I did have a little, one of my little famous um, modelling tools there that look at, you know, take all the variables and then spit out a number. And so I gave him two scenarios because we're in the thick of COVID um, and basically it was a if COVID gets worse scenario, what's the likelihood for the EMI? And if COVID kind of recovers, what's the likelihood? And, and the net result was that, and at that time I think the EMI was somewhere around maybe the 1200 level or something, 1100 or something. Um, and, I, and I said, then it was maybe worst case scenario, you've probably got another 200 cents worth of pain, but then that's it. And then I said, best case scenario, actually if COVID is being brought under control globally, you we're looking at the bottom right about here. And I think would maybe been a month or two after we did kind of get a bit of a base there and it has improved slightly. So, I mean, either way you look at it from a modelling perspective, even if we get a lurch back to, you know, COVID problems, which doesn't look like it's going to be the case this year, I think we're, we're, we're past the worst of it. Um, I kind of think that we've bottomed out in the wool market now and, and you're probably looking at maybe, a, you know, a, instead of a 200 cent decline, probably more likely a, the chance of a 200 cent increase over the next year or so.
1: I think that I think the chances. I think you're right. Big picture things is could you get a demand shock that's worse than last year? And I'd say you probably the chances of that happening are probably limited. I think we've seen the worst, and I'm i in agreement with you. I think we've probably seen the worst. I think there's more chance of upside. And one of the chartists I know did some modelling about what was the what was the worst top to bottom market fall in wool in the last hundred years. And interestingly, I know that that data suggested that where we got to in August was about a 65 to 70% retraction from the peak in 2018. And then interestingly, that's the same number that happened in 1918 in the Spanish flu, 1929 in the Great Depression, uh, 1951 after the wool boom, and also 1991 with the floor price crash. So in four times they they all they all fell a 65-70% and it did it again, and then it bottomed out in August, it did exactly the same pattern, and it's it's, it's gone from there. So it looks pretty obvious. That's,
0: um, that's nearly a Fibonacci retracement, Michael. It's 61.8%. So, uh, you know, being an ex-technical trader, I, I'm going to say it's all Fibonaccis. Um, but I think we're nearly... We've Can you spell six- that word? Starts with an F. I can say another word to you that starts with an F as well, but I probably can't on the podcast. Um, I think we've probably covered We're getting close to our time. Uh, uh,
2: uh, I had sort of one question, just a yeah. quick one. So we look quite often at things like the uh, insolvencies in the grains industry and, and defaults <clears throat> has been, a, been an issue. But there was some issues back in October on exporters uh, getting defaults from Indian and China Chinese buyers. Yep. was that a big thing or was that sort of a bit of a, a beat up like how bad was it
1: so i don't know the exact numbers i think if you're some of the australian exporters were left out of pocket and i think some of the some of the issues were very real um i know there were some issues particularly with india um interestingly i heard some counterclaims about quality that's always an interesting that that means there's two sides to the story and then you start to think it's quite murky um, I've no doubt there was defaults, there was cancellations, there's problems with LCs, and these are all the things that go on when the market gets very difficult. People are trying to protect their position. Um, there were some difficulties. I, I've, I believe that most of those problems have been resolved, might be the wrong word, but there's there's been some improvement and, and business uh, is reopening with some of those customers and things are, are retrading again. So there's some the optimism there. But, yes, there was some difficulty back there. Last year they have no doubt. There was no doubt there's some very big very big issues with certain companies with certain types and certain markets.
0: That's it. There uh, you yeah. go. Well Michael, um, thanks for coming on. I mean I, just before we finish, I, I know you might have been a bit reluctant to come on. I, I got the feeling you were, but it hasn't been too painful, I'm suspecting. Um, some of that reluctance, I spoke to Andrew and I said what we could do to ease Michael's um, concerns would be is to bring him on as, a, as an unknown, you know, like a bit like the Stig in um, Top Gear. We could, we could bring you on under an alias, um, and, you know, and that way people wouldn't necessarily know who you were. And I, I'd said to Andrew, we could call you the meat axe. Because, you know De Kluver, they might got they might have the Cluver, the cleaver. but in the end we were we were able to convince you to come on and i think it's yep. been a you know it's been a, a good chat and a, your knowledge not just in wool you've got knowledge across a whole area of agriculture and um and it's always good to get you on and have a bit of a chat shit steer what what's happening with the Aussie dollar are we going to 80 cents or are we going to come off again
1: mate what, what's your big forecast well, I, I've got this guy that I talked to that used to be a currency trader, and I, I discovered that he had no idea. So I don't know how I'd be able to help at all. <laughs> Fair enough. We might wrap it up there. Andrew, do you want to do the,
0: the take out for the, for the listeners? You always do a better job of it than me.
2: Yeah, just uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, share it with your friends and family. Uh, if you want to leave a review, leave a review, but make sure it's a good one because we can find out who you are. Uh, but yeah, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back again next week with something else. So thanks very much. And thanks, Michael, for, for coming along. Thanks, boys. See you when you've got nothing on. Ciao for now.